are back. You're listening to You Would Think, the Philadelphia Flyers podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Collington. Joining me as always, Mr. Kevin Durso. How are you, bud? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, <laughs> we, got a, we got a lot to get into on today's show. Uh, we got some trades, some soon-to-be trades, some almost trades, uh, some rejected trades, some free agent signings. We got a lot to get into. Before we do that, uh, go to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button on this video. Thank you. Okay. Um, I'm not even going to mention the other one because we'll get there. Uh, um, So, as we get into today's show, uh, I think we're going to start with the event that kind of happened first chronologically. Yeah, you want to go over the best way to do this just to run down. Pretty much almost exactly where we left off because we're talking what we we did a show as quickly as we could well not as quickly as we could but like to publish it as quickly as we could with three days to go roughly until the draft because things were already moving in all sorts of different directions there was a lot of possibilities and we needed to get that show out as soon as possible before yes. something happened that where, where we everything we were talking about became complete in the past and it didn't take long no it did not so let's start. I guess we're going to start here because that's where that's where the timeline really hits and we can go from there. So this trade goes down on Tuesday, I believe, is when it finally went down. So the show yep. came out. We did the show Sunday night-ish. Yeah. Got it out quickly. But yeah, between Sunday morning and Tuesday morning when the deal got done, we really didn't hear a whole lot of change. The only thing that we really heard about was Tory Krug and Flyers trying to convince him to waive his no-trade clause. Him refusing to, which is his right. We're not holding it against him. Uh, and then what a deal. Uh, as the day kind of wore on and as the weekend kind of wore on, we started to look at what a trade might look like without Tory Krug, without Travis Sanheim, without a first-round pick, without all these other pieces that we had previously heard about. And then the deal we ended up getting as it comes down on Tuesday morning, uh, it's Kevin Hayes with... Full, well, half salary retention. The Flyers retain the maximum they are allowed to retain uh, over the remaining three years of that contract. Uh, there's three years left on that, right? Yep. Uh, and in return, the Flyers receive a sixth round pick. Yes. Uh, that's the deal. So, and that's the deal. That's the end of the sentence, the end of the tweet. It's one line for one line. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, is. Getting rid of Kevin, not even getting rid of Kevin Hayes, getting rid of half of Kevin Hayes <laughs> enough, like, is that a, a valuable enough to ditch for a sixth round pick? Like, how bad, how bad is the relationship with Swords? It's that bad. Yeah. Uh, apparently. I mean, it was, you know what? I went back and I referenced and I wrote a big follow up on it because I know the initial reaction. The initial reaction was not good. The initial reaction was then why trade him at all, then this, that, you know, all this, that, the other thing. I, I guess the first place to start is what happened to the original deal, what, what we came on talking about as of Sunday, the idea that there was this big, you know, this big chunk that was going to go. We didn't know the amount of retention. We knew that there were two other players in the deal. We knew that there might be a first-round pick involved. All of this, right? So, like, when you're trying to figure all of that out, it's, it's like... It's you a complex are, deal. Well, it's a complex deal, but your your expectations soared. I mean, think about this too. And I, I said this about Danny Briere. You make the Ivan Provorov trade, and it is what it is. And then this is what's being talked about. So expectations are through the roof. Like, not only is he 
doing great things with these first two trades if that's exactly what happens. But is he cleaning out everything? Like, like at the same time that the Hayes thing is going down, D'Angelo's name's out there in a completely different trade, and you're sitting here going, wow, he's really clean, like completely cleaning house of a lot of stuff. Like, he's just going out there and, you know, with D'Angelo, it didn't matter about retention because you were like, it's a one-year thing. Like, who cares? Just, you know, cool, he's gone, you know. And for the record, quick editorial note about that. We don't have to do a whole big thing about that. Uh, that deal is still going to happen. Uh, we were actually mistaken on our last show. It, it didn't have anything to do with this Kevin Hayes deal. Um, it was it actually... It might have been a, one time. That's well, sure, point. sure. But it, as it comes out, the reason there hasn't been a deal with the Carolina Hurricanes at this uh, Yeah, point, you're talking about that we were talking. We were speculating if he was back in play. It, right. Well, right. But I just mean in terms of... Um, we, we didn't know about the um, the retention thing uh, when on our, during our last show. Uh, so it came out shortly after our last show that the reason the deal hadn't been done yet is because... Essentially, the long story short of it is the Flyers traded for Tony D'Angelo last year, um, signed him to a contract, and are now trading him back to the Carolina Hurricanes within 12 months of the original trade. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is, by the letter of the law, not allowed, cap circumvention, etc., etc. Now, it's, been, it's come out that uh, the deal is still going to go through. It's just going to go through 366 days after the original trade. That's essentially it. Right. Essentially, the deal cannot be completed until July 9th. It still will. Briere yep. didn't say as much. Don Waddell did. Yep. Um, at this moment, now this is this will put a quick bow on the D'Angelo stuff so we can get done with it. There's still no Thank details. God. There's still no details on the prospect coming back, which is kind of disappointing because. A, the Flyers could be working on a deal to sign this player. I believe this is going to be a rights deal, so it'll be okay. a prospect unsigned. And B, if they were able to, a couple weeks ago, roughly, right, like or a week or a week ago, I should say, I guess, work out that deal, go into the draft with it. That's a player who, if they had signed him, depending on where you know how all this works, could have been able to come to development camp if they want to. I mean, it's it's that is true. It, you, 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 that's there is all. a real cost. Right, and, I, and I'm not saying that's a make-or-break situation. It's just one of those things where it's like, that. it's disappointing to not know what could be. That's and, all. and for what it's worth, it does sound like management on both sides, Philadelphia and Carolina, did go to the league and had a meeting with them and talked to them about, well... Just got told a, no. Well, right. The, the argument essentially was, well, it's a different regime, and Carolina didn't sign the contract, Philadelphia did, so therefore it's not cap circumvention, and it's right. not... There's, there was no funny business going on, essentially. And they got shut down, and they got told, hey, you can wait a week and a half, and it's, it's going to be fine. Uh, and it is right. going to be fine. Like yeah. I said, the deal I is going to get done. Well, and, and this despite, I mean, I'm not trying to jump into too much with everything else, but Carolina wasn't exactly quiet in free agency. Uh, no. And there was a lot of question at the time about, is that going to affect the trade now? Like, are they going to pull back on this? Like, well, now we can't afford to do this two and a half million dollars. Right. Like, you know, all that. The fact that it came straight from Don Waddell tells me this is going to happen within a week. Yep. You know, and you're hanging on for it at this point. Just, you know, the story, from my standpoint, the story's been prepped for about a week already. So, yeah. And you just wait for the final details and sure, and publish on that thing. As we talked about a little bit on the last show, uh, the return is expected to be a bit of a lottery ticket type of prospect. Exactly. Um, it's certainly not going to be any sort of high-level talent. 
Uh, so it might be considered an underwhelming return and kind of relating back to Kevin Hayes and the, sure. the fairly underwhelming return there. Uh, you might look at this as, you know, maybe a failure of uh, Daniel Briere. I don't necessarily look at it that way. I think it's just kind of the cost of undoing some of Chuck Fletcher's bigger mistakes, frankly. Um, part of it, yeah. Right. So it's as far as that's concerned, the fact that you got anything for these players. Mm-hmm. Especially because all you're giving up is cap space in the form of, you know, retention over the next couple of years that you're going to be bad and probably far from the ceiling anyway. (laughs) Exactly. It's not really a huge deal in the long run. You're getting these lottery ticket assets. If that hits, if that's, you know, if if the guy, if Helga Granz turns out to be a stud, that's a win. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, we're hoping to see out of this. And you're in a position right now where you're willing to take chances. That's the other part. Like, Absolutely. you got nothing, you know, at the end of the day, think about this for a second. And, and the answer could be yes and, and no in the same sentence here. Does Kevin Hayes help the Flyers win more games next year? The answer, the answer yes. kind of is yes and no, because the answer is yes, because talent wise, he's probably better than a lot of what they're going to have. But it's no, because if the relationship is bad and you're bouncing him in different places in the lineup, what are you going to do about that? So, I was going to say, at least twice a year, a piss-poor Kevin Hayes attitude costs you a hockey game. It can, sure. And, but I think, that the, I think that the key here was is that you're, you're trying to get rid of what you know doesn't fit the timeline. And we knew this coming into the offseason. We knew this addition-by-subtraction thing was going to play out in some way, shape, or form. And sometimes the decisions are really hard. Like in the case of Ivan Provorov, where you know the guy is in an age range where – could come out on both ends of the spectrum here. Think about this oh, for yeah. a second. We, we're we through the bulk of the offseason now as we're sitting here doing this, right? So Ivan Provorov didn't make it, and Travis Konechny did. There's no rhyme or reason between one or the other other than that, whether it's, you know, it, there's re- there's reason. I, I get sure. it. I'm not trying to say there's not, but you know what I mean. I'm saying and, from, and from an age standpoint, right, and, and from an age standpoint, there's no difference. They have the same yeah. amount. Of, they're at the same age, same experience level. One ma- One made it through, one didn't. Yeah. That's the and, way that it goes sometimes. And that could still change. You know, sure. we, we talked a lot on this last show about Travis Sandheim. And as it sits right now, it uh, Danny Breer has essentially pulled him from the trading block. And there was some speculation on a recent 32 Thoughts that that might have been done as a way to kind of settle things down a little bit. That basically once the St. Louis deal fell apart, uh, it was speculated that, a lot of people called Danny Briere inquiring about Travis Sandheim. And you're um, doing damage control a little bit. You're right. Right, exactly. There's a lot of... If he ends up showing up to your training camp, you don't want him to be miserable. Sure. Uh, and, and look, you know, to, to go off of the original deal itself that we were talking about, you know, simply put, things change after at certain points. We, were, you know, we discussed last show that Tory Krug was slated to be in the deal. He has the ability to not waive the no-move clause if he wants to uphold that he did when when it when it happens like that especially you know and it can happen like that especially when you're in a position like the flyers or where you're just starting a rebuild yep. without tory krug in that deal they're not moving sanheim no. they're just not that's why it changes and so he comes out of the deal kevin hayes is by himself hayes by himself isn't worth a first round pick or anything isn't close obviously right. uh, you know and and this is the thing with the return I know the return isn't great, especially retaining half the contract and doing so for three more years. By itself, it's brutal. But I think with context of the situation that there was no way that this could go on any further 
It had to happen. And the only thing I don't like about the deal when all of those factors are considered is the third year of retention, the third season, because it does tie up a retention slot for longer yep. than you would want to. But that's the only thing I can't get over. I, I'm not worried about the half salary thing. That's it's half the salary. It's better than a buyout of half the salary. You know yep. what I mean? Like you're, you're doing you, you buy them out. You're doing this for six years, not three. So that's fair. Don't hate that. It's just the retention slot. But but you want like you asked me straight up off the top. Was it really this bad? I'm going, I go back to his quote at the end of the season when he did exit interviews. And this is what Kevin Hayes said to the media. I picked up the message that was sent months ago. I'm okay with it. It's their decision. I don't want to say I'm suited for a contender because I think I'm suited for anyone, to be honest. We'll see how that unfolds. Their decisions have probably already been made. We don't know them yet. I'm sure I'll find out around the draft. Well, guess when this trade happened? One day before the draft. There you go. He knew exactly where it was going. Everybody did. And he goes in, you know, he comes into this with, you know, clean slate, new chance with a different team. That's, you know, and, and, and I don't want to. He's going to slot right into that organization. He is. The way, the he is going to slot right in. And you're right. He is going to slot right in. And I don't want this to take away from, despite the differences that he had with Tortorella and all that stuff like that. Don't let this take away. He was a good person. You know, oh, yeah. he was a really good locker room guy. This isn't about that. But but you also had to realize what happens if you prolong the situation that is. Some guy, we've, we've said this since he was hired. Some guys can handle John Tortorella and some guys just don't fit with the style. And if they yep. don't, they tend to get out quickly because it, it just creates more problems if you try to make it work for any longer than you have to. That's what happens here. And, and that's, it's as simple as that. And so... You know, I guess to touch to move further to the Sandheim point that you're talking about, so we can yeah. kind of work our way toward the draft portion of this, because you're right, Sandheim's name was out there and on the table and certainly readily available, heavily involved. Yeah, uh, pretty much up until the draft got started. I mean, there was no, yeah, reason and then nobody leave. talked about trades for the entire first round of the draft. Yeah, there was really no reason to. I mean, insane. Zero trades. First time since thing, 2006. The thing that really interest not interested me, but as I'm going through, like, as I'm going through the way that that night played out and things like that. First of all, I understand why nobody wanted to make trades, because if there was something there that you really wanted draft wise, you were going to make the pick. You know, yeah. that was just the way it was. I certainly understand why the Flyers were actively trying to get back into the first round one way or another. And I say that because, look, maybe they sit there and they let the thing play out the way that it ultimately did and they don't need to make a trade. I think in their minds they thought they were going to have to. I thought they were going to have to as well. So we'll get to that in a second with the yep. player that was taken seventh overall ultimately. Um, I think when it came down to it, Danny Breer did exactly what I thought he was going to do, which was hedge his bets with two picks as, as opposed to yeah. well, as opposed to worry about packaging something and trying to get one or whatever like you look good on you for trying to get a third first round pick but right. when it doesn't work out it doesn't work out keep your two picks and and be happy with that because that you know you, you weren't going to come away with any you shouldn't have come away with anything less I really should say that you shouldn't have come away with anything less yeah absolutely I agree and so, I, I think Danny Breer showed a lot of patience because I think a lot of newer GMs, especially, you know, you do the Ivan Provorov thing and then this Kevin Hayes trade doesn't go quite the way it looked like it was going to go. Mm -hmm. You might you might feel some pressure to make a big move, make a big splash. 
and Danny Briere pumped the brakes. And well, he did make a bit of an aggressive move to kind of jump back into the second round. We can touch on that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as the first round goes, he didn't do anything crazy. Didn't go over the top. Didn't blow any any huge prospects out the door. Sure. And, and, and I think that the way that the Hayes trade finished up, and I, I wrote going, I guess this would have been because once the deal was done, I wrote this going into draft day. So... <laughs> In the usual slot where I would post a draft preview for round one, I'm writing a reaction to the Kevin Hayes trade and trying to basically explain Rome wasn't built in a day and the Flyers won't be either. And that really is a good precursor for where the, where the first pick that they had goes. Because yeah. this is it, it's going to be a patience play. It's going to be a, you know, you're going to be holding on with this one. You're going to have to wait it out. Yeah. But... If, if you can wait out the rewards of what could be, you know, it let's looks get, like it let, might be worth it. So let's get into them because this is the biggest thing we're going to talk about today. The Philadelphia Flyers with the seventh overall pick in the 2023 NHL draft select Matt Vay Mitchkov from St. Petersburg. Cheska St. Petersburg. Yes. And that's, that's basically the Russian yes. it's Russian hockey club. Yeah, and you know. not only. Do the Philadelphia Flyers select Matt Vaymichkov? But Danny Briere is a magician. <laughs> he full blown throws down the smoke bomb when the smoke clears. He's gone. We're. I'm not gonna make a joke about closing the facility because I know that ended up not being true and it wasn't on the same day. But I'm gonna pretend that he closed the facility to have a secret meeting with Matt Vaymichkov. There's a secret meeting in Philadelphia where they snuck him in without anybody knowing. There's another secret meeting in Nashville where they talk to him again. It becomes very clear to Danny Briere that Matt Vaymichkov wants to be a Philadelphia Flyer. So, on Tuesday, Danny Briere steps up and very, very nervously selects Matt Vaymichkov. <laughs> now, get, now, give him a break. It's the first time he's announced sure. that pick. So I and get it's it. a huge pick. It is a swing for the fences to, type to of be, pick. To be honest, you're calling it nerve. You're calling it nerves. I think it was a little chuckle at I can't believe what I'm about to do right now. That too. To be honest. That like, too. Like, th- like, no, like everybody thinks that we're not going to do this, and this is exactly what we're going to do. Everybody or, 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 or everybody nobody knows think, what we're going to do. Everybody thinks he's fallen to the team full of Russians behind us who play three hours down I-95. No, 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 no. So let's, Matt, Matt so let's, Mitchkov. Yeah. So let's let's start with something because I want to bring up a, a word that you, you just used pretty much. Okay. That I, I might not have been the exact word. I think it was close if it wasn't exact. And I want to go to about just shy of four o'clock on draft day. The draft starts at seven, by the way, that night. This, this is this is the Wednesday night of the of the of the first round of the NHL draft and about 3 hours before the whole thing gets started. Now obviously, 3 hours from that time point, we know who the first overall pick is going we, to we've be. We've known it for weeks, right? We've known it since last year. We've Let's known it be for real. 2 years, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. But that happened to be the time that Elliot Friedman tweeted out a what what he titled Quickie blog, read it before everything changes. This was his Kind of like 32 thoughts, if you will, but he did a quick draft. He's, he's retired thing. 32 thoughts. It was 3.2 thoughts. <laughs> well, whatever. You know, yeah, what I, mean. I know. And the quote within the article was Philadelphia is the smokescreen queen of this draft. This is three hours before, and nobody knows who they're taking because it's they really like Mishkov. 
no, they really like Ryan Leonard. They like this. They like, they like both. You know, what happens if both are gone? Yep. Do they go Reinbacher? You know, like, oh, there was stuff all over the place as this was leading up to. So let's get to the actual now it's past 7 o'clock, right? And Connor Bedard, as expected, goes first. And then the Ducks shake the whole thing up. And they took Leo Carlson number two. Yeah, they did. So now everybody goes, oh, it's going to be that kind of first round. We're not going by the script at all, according to what we were told for weeks and weeks. It's going to be different. They go with Carlson. Fantilli goes three. Now, Fantilli going three kind of evens it back out again, because now we're back to the same top three at least. We all knew one, two, three, pretty much. We felt like we did. In some order, right. Right. And then San Jose did exactly what everybody thought San Jose was going to do and took Will Smith. Yep. So now the top four are done. They got jiggy with it. So now the top four is done, and you're looking three picks ahead. You've got five, six, and the Flyers are there at seven. You at that point in time, I even wrote, I even quote tweeted when the Shark selection came out and said, top four when is expected, pretty like in terms of the four players taken, not the order. Right. Um, now we're on Mishkov Leonard watch because that was the two names yep. for me. And I'm not trying to say it was for me in terms of like, oh, that's what I would Those have were wanted. The big names. They were the two that were most connected. It was the easy, like, it was pretty apparent. Remember how last year when it was getting closer, it was, well, at five, Cutter Gautier's there and it's, or Juracek. It's, it's yep. Gautier or Juracek. That's the two that we keep hearing about. And Gautier kept becoming louder and louder and louder. And sure enough, about 48 hours before, not long after we finished the last show, Mishkov's name got louder and louder and louder, and it's yep. like, and there was a good reason for it because by that point they'd already met with him in private, um, multiple times, at so least yeah, once, at least once by that point, and then there was another meeting once they got to Nashville. Yep. Then Montreal not throws a curveball. They didn't really, in the grand scheme of things, but what they did is they guaranteed that one of the two guys we've heard all about for several days is going to make it to the Flyers' pick. Montreal goes David Reinbacher. Now yep. it means Mishkov or Leonard will be there, one of the two. And Arizona is kind of making a long play here. They're a complete wild card, honestly. They could sure. have picked absolutely anybody. Well, they sure picked just about anybody. They sure picked they, the wrong Russian. Well, because they picked a guy who I would have told you was going. As a matter of fact, I think I may have brought him up on last show about going in the 14 to 18 range. Yep. And being a guy you may try to trade up for if you and could get that third first round pick. Oh, oh, by the way, Arizona also had 12 that they could have just sat and waited and taken them there. But I, they must have a plan. Maybe they do. Um, but they took Dmitry Simashev, who, for, for the record, who I like. I do think he's going to be a really good player. I just don't know if he was number six. Second best Russian in the draft. So, but, but right away you go, okay, another defenseman off the board. So now they're going to have their pick. They can pick Mishkov or Leonard or whatever. And I even tweeted after that, dream scenario for the Flyers here with Mishkov, Leonard, and Zach Benson all on the board. You can't go wrong with any of them, but Mishkov could be another level. And that is when Danny Briere walked to the podium and, and said that the Flyers selected. Said the, words, said the words that are going to save this franchise. You heard it here first. Well, no. Do you want me to double down on all this? Because I have a whole big list of notes with this guy. Like, more than any other player we're going to talk about tonight. Because, obviously, this is the guy. This is the talent yep. level. This is this is stepping... You know, We're talking about Danny Briere stepping up to the podium like that. This is Danny Briere stepping up to the plate and swinging for the fences. 
This is the player that can be the face of your franchise. Yep. When we talk about what it takes to build a successful team in the current day NHL, we talk about having depth. We talk about having good goaltending. We talk about having good defense. But what puts teams over the top, the reason we saw Vegas go out and get Mark Stone, go out and get Jack Eichel, go out and get Alex Petrangelo, is because they figured out that you need elite, high-level talent. And the Philadelphia Flyers... (sighs) Okay. (laughs) I love Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux was there for two or three years. But Matvey Mitchkov projects to be the kind of guy who's going to be there for 10 to 15 years. It projects to, it, the reason you're saying that is exactly the, where I'm going, where I was about to go with this, is that this is the guy that you step back and say puts up 100 regularly. Yep. Seriously. Especially, especially with where the NHL is going. Right. Seriously. The, Look, did Claude Giroux do it once? And did Claude Giroux have another year that was really good that warranted heart conversation as well? Sure. But this you got to go back so much further, and I'm going to get to all the players that I thought of, but I'll start with my initial reaction on Twitter to the pick, which was picking Matvey Mishkov was exactly the type of player the Flyers needed. You want high-end talent? You got it. It's a risk, but it's a risk worth taking that could have huge rewards. So when I looked at this pick... I, I thought of a lot of players when looking at this pick, none by direct comparison, but all of who he represents, who Matvey Mishkov represents in, the, in this story that we could have, right? I wrote about three of them in an article that I put up the next day, and then I want to add an additional player, too, because I thought of it later on that kind of goes with it. The first player I thought of was Eric Lindros. Okay. Back in 1992, when the Flyers made the trade for Lindros, they were in the middle of a playoff dry spell. They needed to start a new era of sorts. And you enter enter into the picture, Eric Lindros, and now there was a young player that fans can get behind. That is what Matt Vemishkov can be for this team going forward. I thought, like, right away, one of the first things I thought of was, is if you go, in, and it's on YouTube, so you can go look for it. Lindros, is, it's his second career goal, but it's his first goal at home. Okay. And he goes in and scores, and, and the local broadcast has Doc Emmerich doing the local with, <sighs> Gar- with Gary Dornhofer. Oh, and, yeah. and and Gary Dornhofer, after the goal is scored, yells out, that's what the people came to see. Yep. And that's what Matvey Mishkov can be. They, it's going to be your, this is your ticket. You know what I mean? Remember, you, you know, take a step back for a second. And remember everything that we were saying after the lottery was over, all this stuff about, well, you, you know, now you're doing all this. You're picking the wrong year. You could have had Bedard if you would have, you know, a little bit better of lottery odds, whatever, all that type of stuff. Guess what? You didn't have to do a thing. You earned the seventh pick, you sat there, and you got him. So, let's talk about why mm-hmm. the second most talented player in the draft by a lot of people's metrics. Sure. Why does he go seventh? Why right? does he go seventh? Right. Well, and, and it's, it's the Russian factor. You got to imagine. I mean, the Russian factor plays into it. It's also the contract. It's the KHL yes. three-year contract that basically means you're putting this on hold for three more years, which, and, which actually, in a weird way, brings me to the second player I thought of because the second player I thought of was Peter Forsberg. Okay, fair because enough. Peter Forsberg was in the deal for Lindros, obviously, but the Flyers yeah. drafted him sixth overall, and he didn't come over and make his NHL debut for another three seasons until 1994-95. This is that's a similar timeline to what you're looking at. So, and so by the way, for people that might not know, uh, in the KHL, uh, 
most European leagues kind of defer to the NHL, and when when you get called up to go, they kind of look at it as a promotion and they let you go. Uh, the league that Forsberg was in is a really good example. The Swedish leagues are usually really good oh, about this. Oh, fantastic. The KHL uh, considers itself an equal to the NHL, and therefore <laughs> going to the NHL isn't a promotion. You already play for the KHL. What's the problem? Hello? Pretty much. Uh, so to get out of your contract to go to the NHL, you have to buy it out yourself with your own money. And right. if you're, And if your NHL help team helps you, they get fined severely. So it's not something that happens particularly often. Um, Mitchkoff did say in his post-draft interview that he does hope to come to uh, North America quite soon. Uh, we are talking through a translator here, so there is definitely a little bit of wiggle room there. Uh, but it certainly seems as though he has interest in not necessarily playing all three of those years uh, with St. Petersburg. Um, he's going to do whatever he has to do, but it sounds very apparent that the goal he'd is like to get here, get to the NHL. He expressed that and sure. Yeah. Um, let's go to player number three then. Cause okay. But by, but the timeline portion being very relevant to this story, right? That there's a yeah, timeline involved. Absolutely. That's very relevant. The third player that I thought of was Yarmir Yager and the story about during yep. Yager's draft year that he was telling teams, I'm not coming over right away. I'm not coming right away. You know, all that stuff like that. And then he told the Penguins, you draft me, I'll be there tomorrow. Part of me part of me wonders if Matt Van Mitchkoff did that and if he'll be in camp this fall. Now, I'm not putting money on it. Right. And I'm not going so far as to say Mishkov did that specifically, like told the Flyers. If he shows up in camp, though, I'll, he ma- he I'll made put it, some stock into it. But I don't think it, like, let's just wait. This part's genuine. He made it clear he wants to be a Flyer. Absolutely, and, and may have helped influence that decision in terms of that um, the Flyers were willing to take him in the, the fa- meeting. The factors that were important to him is he wanted to be in a market that cared about hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted to be in a market that's willing to win, uh, that has a cl- and that has a clear direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice to see and has a path to you know long term success. Now, so now- whatever him and Danny Rare talked about, Danny sold him on it. Sure. Now, to be fair, okay, so the Flyers obviously got him at seven, so six teams passed on him. Yep. Chicago, we know why, because Chicago is picking sure. the guy who's going to play next year and was right there ready to be taken. Like, and is going to be a superstar. Yeah. Sure. Now, I have some clarity. I feel like we have some clarity on Columbus with Fantilli because Fantilli has signed, so he'll probably and play next he, And he wanted to be there. You saw the, the, the video that came out from May. Yeah. Where he said, you know, the team I'd really like to play for is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you why. Well, first of all, proximity to being, you know, being a Michigan. He's a Michigan kid. Kid. Like, you know, you're going to go to a team that right down is, is close enough that you yeah, know what's yeah. going on. But I got to imagine that that has to do with, you know, with Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Line and these guys, these skill guys that they have. That it's like, can you imagine putting him with it? They're putting some things together in Columbus. That's going to be. A, like, I mean, that's going to be a team to watch this year. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say playoff team or that they're going to be that much improved because it's. You still have to look at the overall body of work, but nonetheless, like obviously, we have a lot of off season left, and we have plenty of time before our season previews. But yeah. The division's pretty wide open this year. Sure. There might be some some pretty heavy shifting going around in the metro, and who's to say Columbus doesn't slide towards the top sure. and head up towards the towards at the least in the playoff race. spot? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, in terms of okay, so Columbus we knew was in that regard knew was closer. 
which is why I kind of figured they also would lean Carlson if it came down to it. Like if Fantilli went to the Ducks, which again, I think the Ducks are thinking we've picked so high so often, it's got to, at some point in time, it's got to start to work its way towards improvement, right? right. Like if you have that many good players, like good young players, eventually they should all kind of grow at the same time and turn into something. Um, you would but think. Colum- but yeah, but Columbus was right there too in that same kind of vein because Columbus has picked it high a lot. You know, you're thinking the Kent Johnsons, you know, like, and, and not to mention the fact that Kent Johnson wasn't even the leading rookie scorer last year that they had on the team, you know. Kirill Marchenko, anybody, you know, yep. but, but like, again, it's a whole, and they were so battered by injury too, that like, it's going to be a good, that's, that's a solid roster coming back. Absolutely. Um, so I think it starts to get interesting once you got to San Jose. Cause I, but, but then again, like I look and I go, San Jose and Arizona aren't going to qualify for what Mitch Goff's talking about. They're just kind of picking BPA and he's not going to want to come play for either of them. But if, no, but if he's talking about strong hockey market yeah. and history and all that stuff like that, then Neither what's left between the top three and what was there, what's left was, Montreal, which certainly has the market for history, the and and Philadelphia, and I'm sure he qualified Washington in that as well, obviously. But sure, but there's a pecking order, like in the draft itself, and well, he, you know, and as you kind of alluded to earlier, by keeping it a little bit under wraps that he was interested in coming to Philly, right? You, you disincentivize Washington from trading up because that was kind of the story on the day or so leading up to the draft. Is is Washington going to get trigger happy and jump up to five to Montreal and, you know, take Mitchkov there to prevent or to, you know, not risk him sliding by Philly. You know, that mm-hmm. was a talk. Obviously who knows what Phoenix or, you know, what Arizona's up to Washington could slide up there as well. That was really the only thing I saw people speculating about was do the Washington Capitals and the Philadelphia Flyers get in a bidding war to try to move up. Sure. And, and I, the funny thing is, is last show I said, don't do that. You know, don't yeah, don't get into a situation where if it's if, like you, I think you're going to want the two first round picks. So don't get into this crazy war of over, you know, back and forth of who gets the higher pick, who trades with Montreal. Don't do this. You know, and, it, they, it, and they didn't need to. And they ultimately didn't need to. So those are the three players I mentioned in the article that I compared to, like the situations. And then I thought of a fourth one that's a lot more relative and a lot more you know, it, it, more recent for recency bias as well. Because the fourth player I thought of happens to be another Russian player. The fourth player I thought of was Artemi Panarin. And again, this is not necessarily a style comparison. It's strictly a note of irony, which is the Flyers just had this big press conference in May and announced the new era of Orange and stated their completely aligned goal of a rebuild done the right way. And that made me think in this moment of the New York Rangers and the letter. And, and not too long after, the, and not too long after that letter, the Rangers had Adam Fox demanding a trade to get sent to the New York Rangers. And Still annoys his, me, but because I that's get it. where he wanted to play, and Artemi Panarin signed there because that's where he wanted to play. And suddenly, the Rangers rebuild that didn't really have much of a timeline going forward had a little more of a timeline, and it wasn't going to be as long, right? Yep, got a kick in the teeth pretty quick. I think that the pick of Matt Mishkov and the contract length, whether you go I, like love Danny Briere's answer to this, by the way, it's a three year contract and we assume it's, it's three years. Right answer. It's three years away, right? In public. That's absolutely the correct answer. Well, sure. But make that exactly the way you think, because sure. I think it put a three year timeline on the rebuild. And that's fine. Spend three years stockpiling assets and come out in three years ready to Be- party. Yeah. Because in three years' time, if Mishkov is on this roster, 
exactly when everybody thinks he will be. You, you can't help but wonder what else is going to be on the roster. Oh, yeah. And, and don't think for a second that if you get to free agency the year before, you know, one season before he comes over, start, if, if it lines you up. You start making moves. You have, I think you've got leverage again in terms of, listen, we're one year away from this. We feel confident he's coming over after this season, but you're a free agent now, so we've got to do this now. Right. We're going to sign you, and we want well, to sign you for five, six years and start building what we think is going to be a cup contender. Right, and theoretically, you know, three, four years from now, we're talking about a cap ceiling that's gone up, you know, 10 well, to sure, 15 million too. dollars maybe. So, but, but that's, it, but, Things but could the, get wild. But what I'm getting at is that's what this kid represents. Absolutely. I'm saying the Flyers are going to be in a great spot to take advantage of all that. He represents the full revival of this in terms of putting somebody to it that actually qualifies as one of these types of players that that good. You know, like there, there's something a little poetic to him being the first one to pull the jersey on on live TV. You know, like the, the, the promo video was fine, but we got to see the new jersey for the first time. Yeah, you know, that's a good it's point. It's kind of nice, man. It, it, there's, something, there's something symbolic to that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, this, this is, it's just as simple as that. This is the guy who's going to lead you into the next era. And it's not going to happen overnight. But as long as you, like, seriously, as long as you can keep talking from a standpoint of this is where it, like, this is where it starts. He's still the starting point and he's still the focal point of the whole rebuild from here on out and that's why that's why i say like i think that's why he puts a timeline on it because now you can you look at everybody moving forward in, in that in that realm of possibilities and and it doesn't mean like obviously it doesn't mean the ones who come after him are going to jump in earlier per se but but imagine but imagine the timeline with a cutter gotier type like you took gotier last year at fifth now you get hit mishkov at seven are these not the two guys that I think, you know, in five years, 10 years, like for in five years, for the five years that follow that, that well, people was, are going to talk about? I was about to say, so if Mitchkov comes over in three years and we talk about them kind of loading up and getting in position, Travis Sanheim will have five years left on his deal. The one that just started. Right. So like three we, more. Yes. Well, right. So we talk about him potentially being a guy who comes out on the other, the other side. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see who does end up on that roster. Uh, you know, having a bit of a three-year timeline does allow you to go a little bit more bare bones than maybe they would have otherwise. Um, if you kind of have a plan for coming out of it. Sure. There's, there's something poetic to the three-year thing right now too, because it wasn't, and I, I tried to go back and find which episode it was that I did this, that we did this conversation. Um, but we had a conversation not long either not long before the end of Chuck Fletcher or not long after one of the two okay. where we looked at the roster and said, I, I think I just asked you cause I had already looked it up and all that stuff. How many contracts does this team have that have a cap hit greater than $5 million on it or something like that? Right. And we came up with, I think it was 10. Okay. And Pittsburgh also had 10, which is two teams in totally different places. Right. <laughs> you bit, know, yeah. I went in and I did a little bit of a different exercise, so to speak, because as you continue to wind things down and, and go into things like that, I'm going to ask you a different question. And I know you have Cat Friendly kind of relatively handy tonight. I do. So I'm going to tell you to not look at Cat Friendly for this. Okay. Not looking at Cat Friendly. Okay. How many contracts do the Flyers currently have that are longer than three years remaining? Ooh. Uh, and that, okay. 
Nick Delorier. No, longer. Oh, okay, okay. He has Delorier three has left. three years okay. exactly left. So, so I'm going to say Linen has four. Okay. Okay. Um, Sanheim is just kicking in. He's got a yep. bunch left. Konechny is at two left, right? Correct. So Konechny okay. is not qualified. Right. Um, did they just sign? Did they sign Atkinson to a deal? Are you counting nope. that? Okay. Nope. Okay. Atkinson's got two years left as well. Is that it? Yeah. Is it just the two? Okay. That's going to be a real intriguing conversation about him and over the next couple of years too, because that's movable. <laughs> yep. Oh, it is. I'm just being real. Oh, I know. I know. Especially with that cap flexibility coming up, like we are, we're all talking about. You got. You got a couple. You got a few more that you could go to. It's not like you were done here. I'm, it's not that. Tri- it's not that trick of a question that it was del- uh, 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 Sandheim versus Line, and you're done. It's not that trick. Oh, okay. Like it's not. It's, it wasn't that simple. Okay. Who else is there? So I'm surprised you didn't get one of them because you love this guy. Joel Farabee has oh, five yeah, left yeah, yeah. on his contract. I forgot his, his deal just went, got going, right? So he's got five left. And then you got two more that are probably out of sight, out of mind, but I'll give them to you. Anyway. Oh, they don't count. No, hold on. One of them does. Sean Couturier. Oh, it's fair. Sean Couturier has seven left. He's getting dangerously close to not counting, by the way. Well, we'll see about that. And then you're right about the other one. It's Ryan Ellis. Yeah, it does not <laughs> um, but, exist. But, but okay, but bottom line. They have five total contracts that last more than the next three years. And out of the no, well, and out of the no, but out of the five, by the time you get to that fourth year, so three years go by, those deals get movable. Well, so let's let's get to the point where we assume Mishkov's going to be able to play three years down the line, three seasons come and go, and now we're on the season four. That means he's coming in. That means Ristolainen has one year left on his contract. That means that Faraby has two left on his contract. That means that now Sanheim's is going to be long and Couturier's is going to be long. Even Ryan Ellis has two full years left at that point. No or I'm sorry, or no, no, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry, Ellis has one at that point. Okay, I was going to say, there's no shot a single dollar of Ryan Ellis counts against the cap at that point. No, it, what's, from now. no what's realistically going to happen is that Ellis is going to be an LTIR move at the start of the year for the next couple of years until they get down to maybe two left and somebody says... Now we'll take it. Yeah, Arizona. Or whoever the Arizona is. In the or wherever they are at that point, you mean? Oh, um, well, yeah. The Houston team. The Houston team. Um, No. So, but, but I want, so if those are the five names that will still be under contract three years from now, here's a couple of players who won't be according to this. Okay. Because in three years time, you're, you're down or not down, but three years time, you have the next decision to be made on Scott Lawton. Mm-hmm. I mean, Delorier's contract is up too. Like you said, there's not another defenseman on the roster that has more than a year. Presumably, presumably, you're going to be signing uh, Cam York to a contract at some point. Well, Cam York's an RFA this year, so right. I don't know. And again, I don't know if he's getting much more than what everybody else gets, which is one to two years right now. Sure, but, sure, because no player is signing three, four, five year deals unless they're getting paid right now. And probably, I mean, nobody's been able to pay. So, right. but everybody's like everybody's gone. So the only that, that's what I'm saying. These are the only five players that are left, and one of them is not going to really play. We know that. Right. And then you've got two others that, well, yeah, I'll go two others because I'll count this as two. Because Sandheim and Ristolainen, and we kind of know it, it's they are what they are, and they're going to yep. continue to play, and that's fine. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Joel Farabee is trying to work back from an injury that we've seen Jack Eichel work back from. Right. So, 
I don't want to put anything on him over the next three years. Maybe he no. turns out he he gets around to be a huge value play at and five he, at five mil he, a year. Yeah, and he looked way better over the last two months of the season than he did over the first four. He's the type of guy I can't wait yeah. to talk to in training camp to see how he's feeling. Because like that's if he's a hundred percent, that's huge for your team. Exactly. And then Couturier is the real big question mark at forward because you got you know the guy's basically missed two years time also. Yeah, that's but that's the, the first test to kind of the new. But new this is on that. but this is what but this is what I'm saying. By that point, three years down the line, how many of these guys are we talking about the same way? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, and we'll we'll have answers, right? Like if right. Sean Couturier still hasn't played by then, we'll know what the deal is. But you're also right about the fact that you go into well in Couturier's case, sure. But you're also going to go into that year with Ristolainen's one year being potentially very movable. Yep, especially if the cap is 95 or 92 or whatever it's at in three or four years. I hope it's more than 92 at that well, point. Well, th- but that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, I mean, less is... than $10 million from now, which is not good. But, yes, I get your point. Um, do we want to move on from – well, uh, and look, I know we could sit here and talk about Matvey Mishkov all day long, all week yeah, long, all off sure season long. Could. We probably we will still will. talk about – well, if nothing else – okay, let's put it this way. If nothing else – and this is going to be a good segue to the next first-round pick that we want to talk about because – Obviously, even if Mishkov's not playing for you know the Phantoms or playing for any you know team in North America, you can still track what's going on in the KHL. And believe it or not, sure. on a, believe it or not, on occasion there's sometimes networks on certain you know certain cable companies that will actually give you viewings of these things. So I may have to take a look and see if Cheska Saint Petersburg is on TV at any point to maybe watch this kid. But but beside the point. Um, there's a way to track and see how he's doing. And I think people are now going to be excited to track and see how a prospect is doing. I think for a little while that kind of became a little, you know, I don't, bothersome's not the word, but you know what I mean? Like it was, it kind of felt fruitless to go and look and be like, oh, that's all. You know, like it wasn't a great farm system over the last couple of years, especially as the few that kind of have made it through graduated. It was kind of left for what it was. Absolutely. So as we get to the second pick of the first round, yeah. who who plays for a team in the in the uh, in Canadian Juniors? Yep. Who plays for a, who plays for the London Knights? Who we're going to mention again when we get to the rest of the draft picks. Um, so maybe if you want to be viewing that team as well, you might want to because then you can watch two more prospects that just got selected. So let's go. start. But let's start with the one that went in the first round. That would be a, a great name in this draft. Just a great name, Oliver Bonk. Oh yeah, and if you remember Radic Bonk, this is his son. Uh, like you said, coming out of the London Knights, he is a defenseman. He is uh, right-handed. We have a six-foot-two right-handed defenseman on our hands, folks. It's probably not a bad draft pick. He had forty points in sixty-seven games with the London Knights, which is solid for juniors. It's nothing crazy, but he plays a good two-way game, and London mm-hmm. is one of those teams. So. Canadian Juniors is pretty top-heavy. It has kind of a, an English soccer vibe to it. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. And the London Knights are Manchester United. They can be, yeah. I mean... A lot of times, right? A lot, a lot, of, times. A lot of the years, that that town loves their London Knights, and they take <laughs> I mean, it very, very seriously. I mean, if anybody saw, based on what the Toronto Maple Leafs did in free agency and how all of a sudden there were pictures of an old London Knights line floating around, then it kind of goes to show you how much they value. Um, uh, yeah, the they're, they're one of those teams. teams. So, yeah. Um, now, I, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this pick because I know I, that I you love kind it. of... Okay, I'm yeah. uh, glad to hear it then. I mean, I look... 
it, it's a more conservative pick. I mean, look, Danny Breer got up there and swung for the fences with Mishkov, and there's no doubt about that. So you have to make sure that bottom line, you come out of this with something. Like, sure. I like there's there was obvious risks to the Mishkov pick, and there's Absolutely. going to be until he's here. There's just no way around it. You're for sure. You know, and and I don't know if I touched on this on the last show or not, but. The Ivan Fedotov thing also really probably played into that a lot from a Flyers perspective. Right. I was going to say, we're not just talking about hockey risk. We're talking about no, no. geopolitical risk. As, as far as I'm concerned, hockey risk, what risk was there? Well, none. The, kid, the none. kid is insanely talented. He's got he's an offensive dynamo. It's going to translate to the next level. Okay. But Oliver Bunk. Yes, Oliver Bunk. So, <laughs> but that's the point. You're still taking a swing, even despite all of the things that are surefire about Mishkov. There's still a risk involved. And this is the opposite. You're going yes. into the Canadian junior ranks. So get it, you know, getting him to play is not going to be a problem. They, they, they just, you know, they graduate their players at 20 and they go pro anyway. So you're just looking at a handful of years before he's probably, a, I think the progression is going to stand. He'll probably be a phantom for a year. You know, he's if, a defenseman, so it's going to take some time. If Oliver Bunk follows the career trajectory of Travis Sanheim, are you upset about that? No, at this given moment, no, obviously right, not. Hopefully they would develop him better than they had developed Travis Anheim for a little bit there. Um, I think but if San that's the case, he could end up being a really, really sure. solid player. Now, I think Sanheim had higher expectations, potentially. So make of that what you will. I, look, obviously when you have a player like Gabe Perot still on the board at that given moment, a 50-goal score at any level is more yeah. flashy. It's more, it's more flashy than defense. I had interest in Perot. And I, I wouldn't have disagreed if that was the pick. But it's relatively predictable in the sense that Keith Jones said you build from the back end that they look defense. And I don't know that Oliver Bonk is going to be a star or even a top-pairing defenseman. It takes a lot of talent, a lot of work to be that. Yeah. But I do think he's got the foundation of an NHL career already sure. laid. I think he's solid enough defensively that if he can discover some offensive chops that further equate to the NHL level, like the 40 points in the in Canadian juniors is great, but yeah. I don't know how much that translates. Like, like, like guess well, what? Travis Sanheim was doing that too. Right. You know? Well, and I did also want to mention that uh, that was his first full season in the OHL. It looks like he Fair. had gotten called up the year prior and was point per game in a lower league. <laughs> uh, so he will he very, very, very likely that he goes back to London this year and oh, yes. and possibly even next year as well if he's eligible. Um, so it, this is another guy that he's probably not going to be a contributor on your team until we're looking in that three-year Matt Vemichkov window. Bingo. Like, if, like I even have here, if it, like I wrote down, if it, like if he can develop those offensive chops to further equate to the NHL level, he, he, he makes it in a big way if he can do all of that, right? Like, that's what people look for in defensemen today. That said, he's another timeline play. Like, I'm not like you shouldn't be worried about hearing anything from this kid other than junior hockey success for the next yep. couple of years. Yep. Just go. Dom just go dominate 15 year olds and juniors. Just go have fun. Exactly. That's all we want. That's all that you should. That's all you could ask for. And I think it's perfect, you know, so and, and I, you know, I wrote about it the next day as well and called it an upside play. You know, it, which it is. You're going off the fact that the kid is very foundationally sound in what he's trying to accomplish defensively, can make an impact offensively at that level. And then if you can get him to another level in development, which 
this is going to sound like a broken record. I talked about it previous shows, but I'm going to definitely mention it here since we're doing draft-centric things. Development is the biggest thing here. Once Now that you've got who you've got, it's about developing. And the overhauling that was done to the development team, and it, which is already on full display already because – you know, I haven't been able to make it over to development camp, wouldn't, wasn't able to make it out this week, but at development camp, you got Patrick Sharp and John LeClaire on the ice with these guys now, not, you know, what it used to be. There's, there's changes there, yep. and this is where it's going. So you got to hope that this is, you know, that they take the steps necessary and really hit that upside because these are upside plays. Yeah, absolutely, and... I- Again, I, I mentioned Vegas a little bit earlier in the show, and they have kind of built their team legacy on taking calculated risks and, quite frankly, sometimes doubling down and possible yeah. shenaniganery, cough, <laughs> cough, Mark Stone, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, it's interesting to see as Danny Briere gets a little more comfortable in the role, as he kind of starts getting some stuff done, he what risks he will or won't be willing to take. Um, and it I, seems like he's willing to take them so far. And I, oh, and I think that Danny Briere went in with a clear vision of this is not about immediacy at all. Like, if, if, if rebuilding it the right way means it's going to take some time and... Uh, that's why I like I like a lot of what he did. We're going to get into day two now in just a second. This was just the first round, obviously, but day two featured a, same, a similar theme. It was all about upside, and it was all about what could be down the line and, and being prepared for situations down the line, too, I, which I think matters as well. You want to be as prepared as possible for unlikely scenarios to happen where you're not as equipped at a specific position or at you know whatever. You want to be ready to go in all areas, and I love the idea of being patient with some of this stuff. Sure. You're and, gonna have to. Yeah, and with the first two picks on day two, uh Danny Briere did show a weird mix of both patience and aggression. Uh mm-hmm. by by trading up for a guy you're gonna have to be patient for, but whatever, it's fine. Uh the Philadelphia Flyers traded the hundred and sixty-seventh overall pick plus a twenty twenty-four second to the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, obviously that is probably going to be a bit of a higher second next year if the team is bad, but you're paying a price to get back up towards the second round. Well, uh, um, you... not necessarily because that 2024 second was LA's. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Then fair enough. And that'll probably be a mid to late second. And that is an even better value. Uh, and the Philadelphia Flyers use that 51st pick to select Carson Bjarnason. Yes. Which is going to gonna... be a tongue twister forever. <laughs> Yeah, Lou, apparently- Lou Nolan's going to hate it. Uh, Lou Nolan doesn't have to say the goalie's name more than once a game, though, usually. That's fair. I mean, unless he's a star of the game on a regular basis, then you're mentioning him twice a game, maybe, starting or, lineup. And- or unless he gets some penalties. I don't know if Carson Bjarnason is that kind uh, of uh, goaltender. but hey, Any goaltender can be that kind of goaltender. They're all a little nutty. So, so let, let's, let's discuss this one for a second here. because yeah. so. Bjarnason kind of came at a time, like his selection came at a time when there was a bit of a run on goalies. You started to see it kind of, I, I'll actually call it relatively early second round because I believe we were sitting, it was like 37 to 39 range when some of them started coming off the board. Yeah. You know, nobody, no goalie was taken in the first round, obviously. So you get to the second round and now there's a bit of a run on goalies. And, and the Flyers go up and they get to 51 like that and they get to 51 and are able to take a goalie that, was according to NHL Central Scouting the top ranked North American goalie prospect in the draft. 
we which is that. pretty, which is pretty substantial. I mean, it means that you're going to go through, you know, again, you're going to go through a process with him because he's, he's a goalie. Like when you draft a goalie, who's, you know, 18 years old, you know, and, and in juniors and things like that, you don't expect to hear from these guys for probably another four to five years minimum, at least like really right. making noise, but he's a potential high ceiling guy. He's a raw talent. So he's going to need some, some work. And there's a lot of belief that he's going to be a big focal point for the Brandon Wheat Kings in the WHL this year. There's a lot of belief that maybe if he gets enough starts and then, and the play is good enough, there's, there could be world junior talk in his okay. future. So that's all stuff like, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that sits there and, and is ready to tell people kind of get ready for this because remember, remember kind of five ish years ago, maybe a little more than that when everything was, watching world juniors and oh how many kids they have representing them over the, you know and all stuff right. like that you're i think you're going to start to get back to that pretty soon potentially i mean they, they've they, they really kind of went all over the map with some of this stuff and there's every reason to believe that they you know will have oh you know a lot of prospects playing in those types of tournaments going forward yeah and and the flyers have kind of sneakily put together a little bit of a decent goaltending pipeline like when you think about sam erson who got a little bit of play at the nhl level yep. ivan fedotov who we you know touched on him a little bit earlier um there are some guys in the organization you know sandstrom still floating around um you have some flexibility here and goalies are weird and they're unpredictable and you never know when someone's going to stop knowing how to play hockey. So it is good to have some backup options, right? And then every once in a while you see a Vegas situation where they just blow through six goalies in a season. Right. And then um, by the way, I, I, I do want to mention the one goalie that you left out of that equation. that was already yeah. in the system before the draft. Cause Alexei Kolosov is another, yes. keep, keep him in mind here. Because that is fair. Because there's a lot of belief that he could be one of these guys that ends up making it over here, too. So, and then somebody who may or may not make an impact a little bit further down it would, is going to be the third-round selection. Uh, the Flyers had two third-round selections. This is the first. Uh, it's another goalie. It's uh, Igor Zevragin. Probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, but it's the draft. That's yeah. how this works. <laughs> uh, and again, a little bit of a, a more depth pick option. You, you know, the, the 12th yeah. ranked European goalie by NHL Central Scouting. Just another kind of body in the pipeline. Now, we, we've talked over recent shows about the, the Carter Hart thing and if he is or is not going to be around in the, the mm -hmm. short term and the long term, honestly. Right. Um, and people, by the way, right after this pick was made, freaked out about that possibility. Of course, because taking the first goalie, we kind of expect that at some point just to get a right. little Right. I think more the only thing the that was surprising, I think the only thing that was surprising was that on day two, that was the lead in. That you traded up to get a goalie and then took a goalie with the next pick also. Um, yeah, it, it definitely sends a message that you're prioritizing some goaltending depth. Now, I know that everybody immediately equated it to Carter Hart. Personally, I wonder, you know, I've already had questions about Felix Sandstrom's future. Um, so that's one to keep an yeah. eye on also. Like, you're, you're tr like this is why you build the pipeline up, because eventually you need guys who step in and try to make noise to get to that level, right? We know they love Sam Harrison. We kind of know the situation with Carter Hart, which is, kind of, which is a little bit all over the place at this point, to be honest. Because the situation with Carter Hart is, is that he is firmly in Philadelphia as long as the investigation is ongoing. Right. But it's not like it's been a secret that if somebody came along with the right offer that they wouldn't be willing to move him. 
Yes. That's why I'm saying the situation's all over the place. I don't know. And it's you know, mostly a matter of is anybody making that call at the moment? And it look, certainly doesn't it, seem that way. And and like and seriously, depending on the day you ask me, my answer might be different. Like that he's a he's the future of the franchise in goal. Uh, he's probably on the move. Something. No, he's never going to be on the move. I like it, it changes every day because that's how many different scenarios are kind of up in the air with him. But. For now, he's a Philadelphia Flyer and will continue to be, and that's really all that matters. And I, and to be honest, whenever this, you know, if the if the report comes out and the investigation kind of has a finishing itself. point and a resolution, yeah. even by the end of the month, I don't think it changes anything going into next season. I think it just will. It'll either completely shut down or further fuel the talk as well, we have sure. heard. And it's one of those things that if you know that report does come out and. He is cleared, obviously, because we we kind of have to assume the best here because the worst is awful. You want? I mean, you want to? Um, I know that. Well, right, because the worst is awful. Um, assuming the best here, assuming he is cleared, Carter Hart is young enough that he could be a guy who comes out on the other end of that three year window we keep talking about. But he is also at the point now where he's probably got the most value he's ever going to have. Because over, right. ne- over the next two years, he's probably going to get John Gibson. And at some point, he might draw a line in the sand like John Gibson allegedly has. Uh, but he might also just kind of wear down. And then by the time the team is good behind him, he's just kind of worn down. So it might not be the worst idea to ship him off now while he has as much value as he can. And rely on that goaltending depth. Rely on the Arison and you know all these guys in, yes. in the pipeline to fill the gap. Yes. And it's just it's just a matter of which direction we go. And I, I think you're right that it is all kind of hinging on this investigation. Um, but if if the investigation again clears him, I expect Danny Breyer to at least talk to him about an extension. Does he want to stay in Philadelphia? I, and I well, and I do think that a couple things have changed in the last few weeks. You know, not to try to completely shift gears from draft to sure. some, some of the other stuff, but it's a good way to put kind of a bow on some of the trade talk stuff because once the Sanheim thing fell through and he wasn't included, and now they're kind of like, yeah, he's he's going to be around. He's off the table. You kind of noticed how the talk about Scott Lawton went down, and the talk about Travis Konechny went down, and Carter Hart was already untradeable at this moment because of the investigation but but again you're going if you're going off of age if a 26 year old forward still works to fit the timeline right now while you see where it goes i think a 24 year old goalie kind of also gets the leeway of that as well absolutely and i feel like danny briere was ready to make some big fat swings some big old changes some big deals to get you that sort of high-end talent that we well, has it been mentioned on about. here yet has it been mentioned on here and elliot friedman was the one who got this out there has it been mentioned okay. what the nickname around the league is for danny briere no big brass ones danny we love that or big brass ones briere i think is what i've heard like Listen, seriously we, we love that out of danny bay like I'm just saying, like, like people have noted his aggressiveness so far in what he's trying to do. Like, so, like you gave him a like seriously, he was left with a big mess and is trying to clean up as much as humanly possible in one off season. It, it's rather impressive. To be honest. He's, he's doing a fantastic job. A lot of GMs would take a little bit more of a wait and see approach, and Danny Briere is being hands on and just yeah. getting after it. And speaking of getting after it. Uh, the next pick, 
You're going to have some fun with the names from here on out. Oh, yeah. Well, this one's easy. Um, Oh, no, 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 no. I mean just in terms of good hockey names. Oh, yeah. He falls right in line. And he's dealing with them. Second pick of the third round. Hey, Kevin, do you think Danny Briere watched some London Knights games this year? Uh, Probably Uh, a few. With the 95th selection, the Philadelphia Flyers drafted Denver Barkey. uh, Almost a point per game at the AHL level. Or, I'm sorry, at the OHL level. uh, Which, I mean, in the third round... The fact that you're getting a guy who in his draft year was 59 points in 61 games, on a, again, on a loaded team, mm-hmm. playing a little bit further down the lineup. He's not one of their superstars, just a solid contributor to, again, quite a good team. Mm-hmm. I think Denver Barkey is going to be a solid little piece. You think that Danny Breer was watching a lot of London Knights games. I think Danny Breer looked at Denver Barkey and thought he was looking in a mirror. That's true. That I mean, is true. I mean, that the guy's, is the, kind the, guy's, of place. the guy's five eight and plays tough, tenacious, battles on the four check, and hey there, Barky. And he, he's he's high energy, and he and he, and oh by the way, twenty two goals and fifty nine points in sixty one games is pretty darn good. Also, pretty, for pretty productive, you know, I, I, like you said, also for a guy who's not necessarily at the top of the lineup, right? You know, all the time. So. It probably only is going to get better for him. He's got some really good. Obviously, he's got some good offensive skills. I think he's, you know, from what I've seen, he's also a strong passer. You know, he can set set up guys really well. Um, and I th- I think again, this was a lot of an upside play, and not to mention the fact that so again, London Knights here. So you're going to be paying a lot of attention to the London Knights going forward because now there's two guys that we're talking about. Both picked relatively high, by the way. I mean, you're talking about this, your second first-round pick and now a third-round pick that went to two players who play for this team. You got to imagine that, you know, there's there's a lot. And not only is there a lot of upside, but there's there's hope that those two, both of them, can pan out. I mean, absolutely. Again, and London Knight, the London Knights have produced as many NHLers as any OHL team. Like they are one of the dominant powerhouse franchises up in the CHL. Like. When you think CHL, you think London Knights. Yeah. Uh, fourth round pick. Speaking of picking guys with uh, familiar things in common here. Yeah. For the first time in, since 2013, the Philadelphia Flyers have a Knubel in the organization. <laughs> uh, 103rd overall, Cole Knubel, Mike Knubel's son. Uh, Kevin, I am a thousand years old. Help me out here. <laughs> I can't help you because I felt I felt old when it was Radic Bonk's son who was being selected by the Flyers, let alone Mike Knubel's son, who who most of the organization can sit there and say like, oh yeah, he was running around the locker room. As sure, like and I, which of course it's believable. I'm not saying it's not at all. It's just one of those things where you're like, yeah, by the way, this kid now he probably Cole, knows his way around the facility. Sure. Well, uh, Danny Breer spoke about that because it's not he's not he's not alone. I mean, you're talking about Cole Knubel, Oliver Bonk. And and there's there's many more uh, like otherwise who have gone, you know, beyond just those handful here that have history, you know, that had uh, had their father play or something like that, you know, and it's that this element of familiarity of being around a professional team can help you adjust to like not being so starstruck when you walk into a locker room. Yes. You know, which is probably true. Now, you I want to bring you up, know a little bit about how the game works. Sure. Now, I do want to bring up because Cole Knubel is kind of an interesting case here because he's an overage prospect. So he was eligible yep. last year and was not drafted. So okay. he go, he went back in as a reentry. Got to give him credit because he put in a lot of work over the last year to have a really strong. I mean, he was leadership role for Fargo in the USHL, 30 goals, 66 points in 57 games. 
that's, I mean, I, that just, you know, shows the willingness to work. Now, he also was, a lot of the questions were about his skating. And from what I'm to understand, you know, from seeing a few tweets from some of the other guys who go, who, who are covering development camp and things like that, his skating looks maybe a lot better now than it was okay. a while ago. So if, if he's put in the work there and you can get that foundational skill really into a good spot, he can be a player who you watch for a while. I mean, you, sure. you got to keep an eye on him. And he's he's off to play college hockey now. So, like, this this all works out from where I, you know the way I see it. Because, again, it's 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 a time play. You know, it's a timeline play. Right. We're talking another... about stock in the cupboard long term, right? It's a fourth-round pick. Mm-hmm. If he makes an impact on your roster one day, that is fantastic. And Cole Knubel's got the physical tools, like kind of the way, you know, kind of the way that Mike Knubel did, to be honest. Oh. You know, right, well, no, but the physical tools and some, you know, mixed with the offensive prowess, high motor, can, you know, can bring energy. Now, the difference between Cole and Mike Knubel in this case would be at one point in time, Mike Knubel was playing alongside Peter Forsberg and Simone Gagne and getting top line minutes. True. I don't. I don't know if that's Cole Knubel's ceiling. I think he's an ideal it's, third or fourth line it's also, guy. It's also a very different NHL than it was sure. when Mike Knubel was doing. Well, that. that's that's correct. I, I think Cole Knubel's probably an ideal third line type of guy at, at his peak here, or maybe fourth, honestly. But you know, it's still some. It's still an upside play to work on, and maybe you know, you know, up until when he was playing with guys like Forsberg and Gagne and keeping up. I don't know that Mike Knubel was viewed all like that that much, you know, like that he wasn't viewed more like the middle guy. In yeah, like, it might know, be good, it might be a family role. might be a family with a little bit of a chip on their shoulders, and when sure, you give, absolutely, give them a chance, they'll embrace it. So, all right, let's keep moving here. Um, we are, I will be honest, we are getting towards the deeper stages of the draft. These are the prospects I'm a little bit less familiar with, so it might be kind of skimming over these just a touch. We'll keep it relatively quick for these, most. All right, these are all long-term projects, late-round picks you, that, again, we don't expect to see for three, four, or five years at minimum. Okay, now do you got this name, or do you need me to jump in because I do actually know I, how to say it? I assume it's Siernik. Nope, I got you then. Is it Chernik? Alex Kiernik. Kiernik. It's the K sound. Yes. Of course. <laughs> Alex Kiernik uh, coming I, out of Sweden. Uh, 122nd overall pick. Yeah. Left winger. Just kind of, again, looking at organizational depth. A guy who, <laughs> let's be honest, we're all looking at phantoms here for the most part. Unless um, somebody breaks out. Well... Uh, so I, I want to pump the brakes on what you're saying here. For, for the most part, for the most, you know, part. for the most part, like I, I understand that the, again, upside play. I mean, it's it, this is a swing in the fourth round. You're you're hoping you can kind of uncover a gem. You know, the one thing I'll say about him, based on some of the stuff I've been reading about his game and things like that, is he's explosive as a skater. So he's okay. got the skating, he's got the skating down. Okay. Um, he he's got skill that can make him a potential hit, but. There's work to be done elsewhere, but still, you got a you got a guy who I think a lot of people saw as, as a big upside play. A lot of people who maybe maybe had him going a little earlier than he did, which is always a good thing, you know. I mean, if you're picking a guy one, you know, in the one twenty, a guy sliding to you, yeah, right. Especially by the time you get the fourth round, it's like, listen, if you're taking a guy who still is a prototypical middle round pick, but also, you know, you're still sitting there saying, okay, fourth round, go ahead, take a swing. You know, could have gone Absolutely. third probably. So, yeah. But I, he's actually, he's actually one of my three, like kind of three to watch here. Uh, 
I'll, I'm throwing him in with Denver Barkey in this one. And then the next prospect we're going to talk about, because all three kind of got higher ratings from what I saw than where they were actually picked. Okay, so see. they're kind of sleepers in this draft potentially. So you got to keep an, you know, they're just going to be guys to keep an eye on. Let's just leave it at that. So do you want to go to that one thirty fifth overall and talk yeah, about, talk uh, about Carter Southern out of the Portland winter Hawks is a right. Another right-handed defenseman, 23.68 games. Uh, again, that was his first year with the Portland Winterhawks. So mm-hmm. uh, what do you got to say about him? Absolutely. Uh, so definitely another potential sleeper here, high upside player uh, among, from what I understand, among the best transition players in the draft. So he can go and kind of be patient in his own zone, use his skill to break out, can move the puck quickly. So you've got a good foundation here at both ends It's and it's balanced. He just needs to see that just grow even bigger to kind of get to get to the level. It's going to be a guy who, if he, if he makes it, he's, he's going to be worth the wait. And I do want to throw in something that I didn't write down in the notes. Cause I didn't see it or not notes in, in my okay. article. I mean, because I wrote this article, like the night of the draft, when all the picks were made, I didn't see this until a few days later, he tweeted a picture of himself meeting Scott Hartnell, wearing a flyers t-shirt that's awesome. Back when he was probably 11 years old, it looked like 10, 11 uh, years old. So awesome. literally and literally goes dream come true. Like, and, and there he is like, I like that's the stuff that you love to see. You Absolutely. Know? And we go from that to a guy who played for a team called the Flyers. Yeah. Um, the next pick, uh, sixth round, 172nd overall from the Leamington Flyers of uh, the same junior B league that uh, Oliver Bonk came out of a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan McPherson, he's a center. Um, anything on him or is this kind of a junior B guy again that you're taking a little bit of a long shot on? You're, you're doing the long play here. I, I do like, I like the path that he's kind of set to be on because he's going to play in the BCHL next season. And then the sites are set on the NCAA and he, and he's going to, I believe he's committed to go to the university of New Hampshire. So that's, you know, you're getting into a good program and, and the, and the numbers were good for his age level and all that type of stuff like that. He actually, he actually has a twin brother who was also draft eligible, didn't go drafted, ended up at development camp with the Flyers also uh. as, a, as a camp invite. So there you go. Um, but this was really more like this was a little bit more off the board kind of stuff. Like, I don't think there was a whole lot out there on him because he's playing at such a low level. So, yeah, your your stat is taking shots at a dartboard he's, this he's late a, in the draft yeah, for the most part. He's a, he's a long play. Sure, and and the same goes for the the last pick of the draft, 199th overall, Mateo Mann of the Shakutami Sanguines. Probably, oh, I probably yeah. pronounced that wrong. It's a QMJHL team, <laughs> um, and then the Mateo Man again is just kind of a, a long shot project type of deal. If he ever makes an impact on the NHL level, you consider yourself exceptionally lucky. If he turns Re- into if he turns into a decent AHLer, you're pretty happy. Now, with now, re- now, real quick, did you see his measurements? I did not. Is he is he enormous or is he tiny? No, he's a whole. I wrote this hulking defenseman. So I want oh. you. To, I want you to take a guess. Who comes to mind when you hear that description? Give me, give me Sam Moran. Come yeah, it's now. pretty much where you're going with this. Uh, he's he's six 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 two thirty. By the way, you mean uh, development camp coach Sam Moran? That's correct. Yeah. Development Ooh, six six two twenty nine. We love to see yeah, that. Six, That's six, a big thirty is what I have written down. Eight, is, Eighteen years old. He's still. He might still be growing. And and for what it's worth, as as I'm sure you can imagine, this big body defenseman hits hard. And you know, and now he. This is complete raw talent. There's again time play. You're gonna be sitting on this for a while. 
you know, may, may not even ever amount to anything, but you take chances, that, you know, the, Listen, the seventh if, round is the seventh round, you know? If a, if a seventh round pick has the career that first round pick Sam Moran had, I'd be thrilled with it. Yeah, you probably would. That's Frankly, yeah. when does he try <laughs> playing left wing? Um, oh. All right. Uh, that's kind of it for the draft. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of movement outside that trade to get into the back into the second round. Um, that was it. That was the only trade he made all yeah. weekend or all Bef- week. Before we head over to free agency, anything else from the draft or? Um, not really specifically. No, I mean, oh, Pretty boring you know, first round. Well, the the first round was. It, it, I, I would say the first round. Boring, was, boring trade wise. Oh, boring trade wise. Yes. Yeah, because the picks were all over the place. I mean, Insane. there was a lot of some unexpected things, and you were getting like like a really good example. By the way, was how far Oliver Moore fell into the late teens. Like, yep. he was slipping, uh, and, and then the Zach, Flyers were coming. Zach Benson sliding to thirteen, which is a great pick for Buffalo. By the way, they're going to love him in Buffalo. Um, yep, you know, guys like that. Um, I do want to bring up. Now, it's not often you talk about this pick, so I'm going to bring it up because it was a really is cool it, story. Is it going to be Carey Price forgetting David Reinbacher's name? No, it's not that. Having you mean having pulling a, Bob, a pulling a, Bob a Bobby Clark? Clark. Um, no, because this oh, is a, I forgot. Because this is a day two story. Actually, this is not a day one story. This okay, this is a day two story because you don't hear this a whole lot. Like nobody talks. It, it, it's not the same thing as the NFL draft, where the last guy taken is usually a Mr. huge story. Irrelevant. Yeah. It's, it's not normally as big of a story, but in this case, it the was. last no, because the last guy taken was there and yep. waited all the full two days and, to hear his name called. And Columbus, Columbus traded, traded for the pick to make it happen. It's a great story. Um, yeah, we love to see that. No. And while, by the way, while we're at it, speaking of trades and things like that, also like that were happening later in the draft and things like that. Um, a, there was a lot of fanfare because the draft was in Nashville. There was a lot of fanfare around it being David Poyle's last draft and kind of his last sort of last duties, if you if you will, with Nashville in that role. So, you know, there, there was a lot of that going on as well. Um, I, I forgot to mention when Mishkov got picked, Keith Jones got up and kind of made this joke about thanks for picking me, you know, yeah. you know, all that stuff like that, uh, you know. I know, you, I know you made better ones than that. I think he's in that what he said. Like, I know you made better picks than that, but something like that. You know, he, yeah. he cracked a joke and, and like, like in typical Jonesy fashion, the broadcaster came through before John, handing it over to Danny Briere and saying, Jonesy go ahead, being make the Jonesy. Pick. you know, go ahead and make the pick. Absolutely. All right. But so that's I, really where we leave this one. Let's yeah, go to free absolutely. Agency. As we transition out of the draft into free agency, here's what we're going to do. I have a proposition mm-hmm. for you. Sure. We're not going to talk about free agency around the league. We'll talk about what the Flyers did, but we're not going to talk sure. about free agency around the league. And then on our next show in a week and a half, we'll play who plays where. Um, <laughs> that's fair enough anyway, because I think list, that'll be fun. Well, the list of people who still don't have contracts yet is still pretty there formidable as well. A ton. So. Uh, essentially, the Flyers have made three signings here. Um, they all kind of serve a similar role, and that role is, hey, leave our young kids alone. Uh, Ryan Paling, Garnet Hathaway, Mark Stahl. All guys... Wasn't that a Pink Floyd song? Something like that. <laughs> uh, all guys who are known for having a bit of a nasty streak on the ice. Um, Hathaway and Paling are, you know, have some touch, have some talent. Stahl is kind of on the back nine at this point. He's kind of wearing it out. Um, it, again, we've talked about the fact that we're going to be backfilling this roster. We've mm-hmm. expected Danny Breer to sign depth guys, bottom six, bottom four on defense. 
this is what they this is what those are so this is this is kind of a fun topic for this because the timeline of all this is kind of interesting so as you would expect and i'm not gonna like we said we're not gonna really talk about the other things that were happening but free agency was its usual busyness in the first hour or so you saw signings popping up and things like that and the flyers were not really doing as much in the beginning right like you know as you would expect like it kind of funny like total opposites from last year where it was like we were waiting to see if anything kind of was happening or whatever yeah and and then it was like well nothing's really happening but but it was like we were expecting something to happen this was we're not expecting a whole lot to happen and nothing's really happening which is perfect like it's not a big deal at all and then the first one came through it was about 1 30 in the afternoon so about an hour and a half after free agency opened and this is Ryan Paling on a one-year, $1.4 million deal. And I will just say what I said in the text group because I think this is the, the perfect signing. It's the perfect thing to do to take a 24-year-old who is looking for a chance and say, you know, maybe you stick here. Maybe you get some trade value. Who knows what the answer is? But there's a way for him to succeed potentially here and, sure. and either maximize his value in a trade or – Maybe even stick around because 24 is a really good age to be inserted in. Like, I, like, sure. like you're and right. Is, we, and he is an RFA. Yeah, like, but, but you're right. Like, we thought backfill with maybe 29, 30-year-old type players who were looking for a spot to maybe move on and go this, play for a contender it, later. Danny Breyer's gem hunting on this one. Right. This was – which is smart, to be honest. Like, like, you know what? The thought process behind free agency the night before kind of changed when a lot of the non-qualifying players kind of hit the yes. hit the hit the waves a little bit hit you know hit the Twitterverse and a lot like of people went whoa right like there's a like, lot of people available like I I saw a lot of people and and I I you know ultimately uh, I don't I'm trying to figure out the yeah he did get a contract I'm gonna have to look it up just to see because I don't want to mention tons of other players yeah yeah, yeah. but. I got asked a lot about okay, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't that bad. It was kind of same vein as what Palin got. I got asked a lot of questions about hey hey Kyle Yamamoto got traded and he's being bought out. Would they look into it? And I just didn't know what kind of contract he was going to get. So you know you got to be and, and term for that matter. You got you had to be careful about both. Danny Briere is smart enough right now to know don't well, commit more than say two years. Well, and players are being intelligent because they know we we saw a ton. A ton of one and two year deals. Yeah, the short term play was big. And so much of that has to do with betting on yourself, betting on the salary cap to go up, waiting until teams have a little bit more wiggle room and mm -hmm. cashing in when there's some space. Uh, to, be on, to be honest, when we get into the bigger picture of free agency next show, the, the, the handful of deals that go beyond the one or two, two year range kind of really were shockers for like as we were reacting to them. Like we would sit there and go, wow, look at that deal. Yeah, you know, for like good reasons was, and bad reasons. Right, there, it was like, it was a big it was a big deal to get anything more than that. I mean, even even some of the massive signings that you know you're talking about guys who were at the top of the free agent board. We're talking about that still took this play. You sure. know, like, but but that's why I'm saying like it, that was I, I kind of went into that like leading up to yeah Yamamoto fit the bill if you want to go there, but. I, I think the problem with Yamamoto is that I think you expect higher out of him. Like, I think you think you can throw him into your potentially into your top six, especially given the state of your team. And I don't know if they wanted to do that. I think Paling, they can kind of change that up well, a little bit. So he, so he kind of almost fits fourth line, to be honest. Right. Well, here's the thing about these players is all these guys we're signing here in the short term. They're here to facilitate 
the long-term projects, the, sure. the Joel Farabees and the, the players that we care about developing long-term. They will play wherever they need to play, right? The, it, mm-hmm. the, the Philadelphia Flyers are not trying to put together an optimal lineup where every player is in the perfect position to maximize this, that, the other. Oh, no. Yeah. Put your, put your the guys you want to keep in a position to succeed, facilitate everything else around them, and then cut as much fat as you can at the trade deadline. And it's a big learning curve for young guys, yep. too. You're trying to get them into the right spots. So, so let's continue the timeline for a second, because this is where things kind of get fun and interesting for a second. Because normally on free agency day, and, and let's not forget it was also a holiday weekend, so I kind of had a cutoff point for my day on free agency day. And normally what I do is, okay, free agency opens at noon, I'm going to watch really closely at what's going on for right for about three hours, three to four ish. And then I'm kind of peeling out. And actually, I think I got kind of a little bit more of a uh, bit of a release because it was between three and four. It was just shy of three thirty, I guess, that Danny Briere did a media availability and said, we don't expect any other signings today. We'll look over the next few days, but we don't expect anything else. And you go, okay. So sure. I guess that's it. I get the rest of the day off kind of thing. Like, cause I'm just tracking flyer signings. I don't have to do whatever. And literally not 30 minutes later, the Rhett Gardner signing came out. Now I kind of didn't go crazy about that. Cause it was it's a, a pretty two-way, nothing signing. Well, it was a two way contract. So you're going, okay, it's more of a phantoms thing. That's fine or whatever. And it wasn't a big deal. Like it, like I could even sit there and recognize this doesn't warrant a story by itself. It's like, it's like the footnote at the other part of the story, right? Like, like they signed Ryan Paling and Rhett Gardner. Right. And also Rhett Gardner, I guess. Sure. And (laughs) and then all of a sudden it was like it's after nine o'clock at night on free agency day. And that's when the Garnet Hathaway deal comes down. Yep. And it's like, well, that's not. And that's that's the the biggest name they've signed all day in terms of like name recognition. I would say it's the biggest name they signed the whole period so far. Probably. And 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 of course, like now you're sitting there going, well, that's not nothing. That requires a story now, kind of, doesn't it? You know, like that's a big deal. So. Now, anybody, like, because uh, re- real quick on Hathaway, because this is an easy one to kind of profile. Anybody who's watched the Flyers play the Washington Capitals right. over the years when he was he's on low, He's low-rent Tom Wilson. And he's annoying, and he's annoying as hell when he's not on your team, and when he is, you're going to love him. And I think and, the fans are going to love him. He's not, like, he's not inept, you know, like, in terms and, of scoring either. Right. He, can, he can do a lot of other things, too. Like, my first... Penalty killer. My first thought when they signed him was F that guy, which means it's probably a great signing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair way to look at it. Because my, very first, fair way to my look. first instinct was, oh, I hate him. Oh, wait, he's on my team now. Okay. It might be okay. It might be okay. The, the thing is, and, and, they, and maybe, it's me, maybe it's me coming from a more objective place, <laughs> I guess, right? Like to come from you know, that place. When he got know, traded from Washington to Boston, I immediately went, well, gee, that guy feels like he should be a Boston Bruin, doesn't he? Like he fits the mold there too. And, and you know what? And you know what this deal is perfect for? This deal is perfect to be traded at the deadline to a playoff team who thinks they need a little bit of edge. Sure. Now, I think I think there's a caveat on what you're saying because I don't think it would be this year. I think it would be the last year of the contract. So I think you're going to ride it out for. So I think you're going to ride it out for a year, but. Nobody said you had to move it all in one year. You know, no. like the next two years are going to be like this. And and realistically, let's be real about something. Hathaway what? can be an, an effective player. He's playing player. in your top six. He's probably playing in your top six. Nah, I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. No, Fair I, I because, because I think they're just going to stick him to the role and let everybody, again, you're going to try to fill around him in terms of That's like, the, like, 
like yeah, like, see, but I I could see him riding shotgun if you have Morgan Frost and Noah Cates, you know, in your top six. If he's your third winger on that line, or well, your tra- third well, forward on that line. Well, I'm trying to think for a second because so insert insert Sean Couturier back into the lineup. Allegedly. Now, well, yeah, you can say that, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna believe it till he plays. And sure, even then fair. I'll be wary. Okay, but that's and that's fair. I'm just saying if. If all goes according to plan in that respect, Fair then enough. insert Sean Couturier back in. You still have Travis Konechny. You still have Joel Farabee. You have Cates Frost Tippett. You have, you know, um, Cam Atkinson probably returning. Like, all of a sudden, you start to realize that, dis- you know, despite it probably not being a great team, like, and they're not going to be embarrassing. They're not going to be the, the 48 point Colorado Avalanche. No, but all of a sudden, what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at is that all of a sudden, you start to realize how. Ryan Paling and Garnet Hathaway slide further and further down the line until all of a sudden you realize, yeah, guess what? Guess where? Guess where Ryan Paling and Garnet Hathaway are playing next to Nick Deloria? I was gonna say the press box. (laughs) Well, or potentially that. I mean, you know, I assume I assume Paling's gonna make your lineup most nights. Hathaway is probably gonna be a little bit more of an in and out player. No, see, I would say Hathaway is the guy who's gonna be in regularly. Paling, Paling. What I'm interested in with Paling is how, like, because let's put this way. John Tortorella loves him some Nick Delorier, right? That's fair. So John Tortorella is going to love him some Garnet Hathaway. That's fair. I don't. Um, know, I don't know if John Tortorella is going to love him some Ryan Paling when it comes down to it. You know what I mean? That's like, fair. I, I think this is going to be a an earned thing. This is going to be like you would love to see with Ryan Paling, and I'm not trying to compare, but you would love to see with Ryan Paling Tortorella do what he did with Owen Tippett That's and, ju- fair. and just say. Look, it's I'm gonna push. I'm gonna we're demand. We're gonna make this work. But we're gonna find a way to bring the best out of you, and it's gonna make you better, and you're gonna be happier for it. Like, uh, and for the record, Mark Stahl is somewhere between Justin Braun and Keith Yandel. Pretty much. I mean, do you know what's interesting about Mark Stahl? He's so far <laughs> a lot of well, things. Oh uh, yes, I know. But he's so fo- like 1,100 NHL games into his career. The ability is what it is. Like he's not going to be anything more than on your third pairing if he's even in the lineup uh, at all. Best, yeah. Right, but this is the type of guy that teams can, can go, I trade him? Can I trade him to the Rangers for a second round pick at the deadline? Hey, listen, I don't. I'm not sure, but you know what? I was about to get to. This is the type of player teams go crazy over at the deadline for playoff time. Like Absolutely. that they want him on their roster, want in their room, don't even care if he plays per se. Like they want him around for the emergency. Vibes. Well, they want they want him around for the emergency too. That uh, well, the experience like, that well, knows right. how to win. Oh, this guy can't play but... tonight. I need a guy who's got playoff experience right. to come in. We're down three one in a series, and we need to make a swap to get the boys going. Put right. Mark Stahl in the lineup, right? Like, and 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 like, do you really think that they're going to have a problem trading one year one point one million dollars? No, not a chance. Like, especially at the deadline when it's three hundred thousand dollars. If you're which is which is why I like like I buy what Danny Briere is totally saying about it. Like, it does almost make too much sense. Like, it's easy too much. It's easy to move. It's so easy to move, and it's so easy to utilize. While you're like right now, think about what the rest of your blue line is at the moment. Like when once D'Angelo is gone, the rest of your blue line. Like right now, you're filling out your blue line with Igor Zamula and Ronnie Adder. Is that what you want, though? Like Ronnie like, Adder, who, by the way, just signed a new two-year deal. Since we mentioned his name here on the podcast, yeah, two-year two-year re-signing, and it's and it's that two-way, one-way. So it's going to go. It's a bridge. 
it's and, and well and it's fitting though it, it, like you don't give him a lot of money for not having done a lot at the end he's got 17 games at the nhl level between two you, years you give or, him or, two or 19 years, or something like that you know you give him two years where he's pretty likely to have a spot in the lineup you figure out what he is and then you sign him the next contract from there oh by the way so while speaking of mark stall for a second because while we're on this whole thing did you catch some of the new jersey numbers uh, I did not. Okay, so for a day, Tyson Forrester was moving to number 18 before Mark Stahl got signed and took it away from him again. So, <laughs> so Tyson Forrester is going to the number he wore in the minor leagues, which was 71, which still is going to have kind of a cool look for him. Yeah. It's, not, it's not 52 like it was for the tryout. Fair. Um, but here's some fun ones, kind of, because these are ones that are probably more likely to be permanent. Uh, Noah Cates is going to 27. Okay. Ooh, that's an interesting number. That's an interesting okay. number. Um Cam York is going to number eight. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that one. Like, listen, here's the thing. <laughs> I know Mark Recchi's not getting his jersey retired by the Flyers. Right. But, man, uh, I, I mean, guess. They might, I guess. Have, might want to put him in the uh, Flyers Hall of Fame first before you worry about jersey retirement. No, and I, and I don't think he should. I'm firmly against him getting his number retired as a Flyer. But it's just still weird to see anybody else wear it. Okay, I got you, and I I understand I where think, that's coming I from. Think, but... I think Nicholas Grossman wore it for a while too, didn't he? Uh, Nick Grossman. Oh, yeah. So it's been worn. It's just it's, it's been weird. worn by and it's been worn by a lot of defensemen too, because that was yeah. Brad Marsh's number. You okay. got Nick Grossman. You got Robert Haig. Well, I meant I was gonna say I meant since um oh yeah what, since Recky yeah yeah. Well, that's it's Robert Haig qualifies on that list that's as well. Fair. Uh, actually, you know who wore it last? Believe it or not, okay. Kevin Connaughton. So just bringing it, just pointing it out there that it's a number that has been used yeah. by, by and others. It, but. And it's weird anytime anybody else, anybody wears it. Now, I will say this because I don't know the numbers for some of the free agents yet. Okay. Some of them, their numbers are available. Like Paling was wearing 25. So 25 is available because James and Reamsteck is no longer a flyer. I guess that's one we should bring up from free agency is that he, oh, signed, yeah. that he signed in Boston for a year. So there you go. That's a James, fun one. James yeah. and Reams like officially no longer a flyer. So Paling could wear number 25 if he wanted to. But Garnet Hathaway has always really I think he's always worn 21. And I know that that number's not available. Nope. So, and um, Scott Lawton ain't giving it up. Not to this guy. So I'm curious. I wonder if like I wonder if he would just reverse it and try to go to 12. I wonder if he would go to 20. Because I think yeah. 20 is available. Like, there's a lot of options. There's just options. But it was just – that's a thought for later. I mean, it's not a big deal. And then, like, let's go to the last one, as you were about to mention, Victor Mete as well. Which yes. Another really interesting – and let's see. I want to cross this between the two because it's, it's, it's like the Rhett Gardner signing in a sense where it's, it's a two-way contract. It means it's not high commitment. He could be in the minor leagues. He could be in the NHL. There's not really anything to that. I don't, um, I don't hate this signing. No, I but it, because you don't hate it because it's in the paling vein. It's yep. he's young. He's Absolutely. young and he wants a chance. And at this point, you might as well be willing to see where it goes. You know, like so. So Danny Breer is playing NHL 23 and it's day two or three <laughs> of free agency. And he goes and he sorts by potential and signs all the young medium elite guys <laughs> or, or signs the guys who like Mark Stahl or 36 that, you know, you're flipping for a mid round. Ex exactly. Later, right? Or the guy, uh, he's 24 years old, but he's got high top six potential. So I'm going to throw him a million bucks. And, you know. 
Hey, that's in, basically in, what happened. Here. Hey, in fairness, because you and you brought this up before we started recording, because Mete, you're you're like it, it feels like he's been around forever anymore. Right? Like, Twenty five right? years old. Well, and he was yeah. I mean, he was and he was drafted yeah. in 2016 by Montreal, and then and his, he's got and he's kind of made the rounds. He's really made the rounds in Canada, yeah, by the way. Yeah, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto. He is gonna love not paying sixty percent taxes. <laughs> um, but but like to go back to Paling for a second, who was a former first round pick. Like that's where you're coming from with this, like yep. seeing the potential top six potential kind of thing. Like right, you know what I mean? Like I'm not saying it means Paling's I, got top. Paling was a player I liked in his draft year. Like, yeah, I I agree. I liked him in his draft year as well. And then and then by the way, followed up all sorts of you know. Going through, you know, going through the process of be, of developing, played on some world junior teams, and then makes his NHL debut and has a hat trick in his debut. Yep. Something that I don't think people think about enough is how many guys' careers just got completely railroaded by COVID. Like Ryan yeah, Paling was point. like Ryan Paling was twenty or twenty one when COVID really got fired up. Who knows what his development looks like if he's got three normal seasons under his belt? It's also just crazy to think about guys like that, like who he's 24 years old and you got a guy who's sitting here saying, I got to like take a chance. You know what I mean? Like That's what I'm a bet on me year. You know, he had, you know, he, you're talking about a guy who so far has never been able to play like he like he literally makes his debut in the for one game in 2019 has the hat trick. And then comes back the next year, which is the which is the year that eventually COVID hit. So he's not quite there yet. So he's probably right. between you know he's between the minors and there. And I actually should pull up his elite prospects st- stats instead to see his minor league numbers because his there minor league numbers were probably better. Um, obviously, he the, the year that we're talking about, he had twenty seven NHL games and only had a goal and an assist. So right. obviously, it wasn't quite the same thing. Okay, so in thirty six in the AHL, he had five goals, thirteen points, which isn't much better. It was kind of an interesting year for him. Um, and again. Yeah, bit of a weird year. Then the then the entire following year, he has basically a year off from the NHL because that was the fifty six game or exactly. where where whatever. Now solid AHL year because in twenty eight games he only played twenty eight games. He had eleven goals, twenty five points. Half the that's, season that year, they played about fifty five. Right. Um, and then he really like he latched on more with Montreal the year after fifty seven games, nine goals, seventeen points. And was near the same thing in the AHL. He played seven games, was near point per game also, three goals, six points. But you're see, like, he's going to get buried a little bit. He's going to get buried a little bit. He's going to have to earn his way to get more to be able to be a higher end player and be like one of those guys. But if you're playing him, if you find out that his best role is, and, and remember something, he's a late first round pick. So he's not, he's not, he's top not a top 10, 10 guy yeah. where you're looking for huge numbers. If he can be a fourth line, like honestly, if he, if they can construct him into a Scott Lawton type, you know, that gives you 10 goals sure. a year and 30 points. Are you happy with that? I would be. Absolutely. And I mean, he's produced at every level he's ever played and I expect him to come in and figure it out. You know, sometimes even these American guys, it does, you know, the guys who come through the NCAA and that whole system, it does take them a couple years to figure it out anyway. Exactly. And throw COVID in there and throw this, that, the other. Being stuck in Canada for an entire year. There's all sorts of stuff that could be going on with this kid. And it's it's one of those, there's zero risk on Danny Briere's part. And if you get a guy who is a guy, mm-hmm. great. It's found money. Uh, well, and that's, that's the interesting part about everything is that, you know, going into free agency, the thing that I remember writing about and kind of talking about was, 
just don't give out anything crazy. Like, don't give yeah. out any crazy term here. You know, the cap we hit didn't, kind of. Be, we didn't see any of it. No, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, Hathaway is probably, you know, if he's going to kind of be stuck to your fourth line, it's probably a little more than you'd like he's, to pay for your fourth that's line. Your, that's, that's your air quotes worst contract you've signed. And it's still, it's like not, we talked it's about, not even super movable. No. Right. It's not even close to bad. It's like. No. It's right there. Like, you'll be able to move that when the time comes. And that's, like, again, that's kind of the good part because if the, to kind of tie it back full circle, the thing we were talking about in the Hayes trade, which is if you're going to have to eat one of these retention spots, you know, I still, like, after free agency, you know what your retention play is for the rest of the year if you have one slot left? It's still Sean Walker. Yep. After all that, it's still Sean Walker. So you could do worse, you know? Absolutely. And, and honestly, I think you could do worse is – I think a great summary for how this all went, how the free agency period went, how the draft went. I think Danny Briere did a great job. He took some big swings. Obviously we have to see if those become swings and misses or not. Um, but either way, I'm very excited to see where we go from here and um, where we go from here is we go on with our evening. Cause uh, we have come to the end of the show here. Um, if you'd like to kind of figure out where we're at, uh, follow Kevin on, uh, on Instagram. That's what I'm going to start with here. Cause that is the most stable platform at the moment. <laughs> That's and it's at Kevin underscore Durso. Uh, if you pay for Twitter, you can follow us at YWT podcast 6,000 times a day. Uh, and, you, or you can follow Kevin at Kevin underscore Durso. Um, yeah, and other than that, you can find us everywhere you find your podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're on sportstalkphilly.com. Uh, you know where to find your podcast by now. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I think that is going to do it for us today. Uh, we will not be back this weekend. We will probably be back the weekend after that, the 16th or so. Um, I, we, we will talk about that off the air, and we'll be back at some point. We're in the summer now, and there's really not a whole lot going on. It might be a little bit till our next show, but... We'll be back eventually, and when we are, we'll see ya.